But intimacy really has to be, if we want it to be fulfilling, we have to learn to cultivate intimacy. So I was married for 23 years to a man. We had a lot. We had sex regularly for 23 years, a couple of times a week and stuff. I loved him. I really, truly loved him. And yet we did not share very much emotional intimacy at all. It was so frustrating. And both of us were like, we want more. We want more. But I didn't know this then. I didn't know about these five kinds of intimacy then. I knew about divorces, but I didn't know about how to keep things good. And only in hindsight do I realize that he just thought that having more sex would help him get and to feel more fulfilled emotionally. And I didn't really want sex because I wasn't feeling emotionally connected and intimate. And that's where no matter how hard we tried, we got nowhere because we had no understanding of this. Welcome to Vaginas, Vulvas, and Vibrators with Jordan Donnell. This is a safe place to learn about women's health and sexual wellness. I'm your host, Jordan Donnell, physician assistant, women's sexual health educator, and intimacy coach. On today's podcast, we have Beth Darling, a former divorce lawyer who flipped and is now an internationally recognized love life and work coach, author, radio host, and speaker. Beth authored the award-winning Amazon best-selling book, Love and Laughter, Sexy, Meaningful Fun for Everyone, and her latest book, The Five Kinds of Intimacy, How to Keep Your Love Alive, which is now available on Amazon. A former ESPN Houston radio host, Beth Darling currently hosts the Come With Us podcast, and I am so excited to chat with her more about her newest book, All right, Beth, I'm so excited for you to join me to talk about the different kinds of intimacy, specifically emotional intimacy. In your most recent book, The Five Kinds of Intimacy, you talk about how most of us don't know what the word intimacy actually means. And I want to start there and really define what is intimacy and why is it so crucial for a relationship? Very good place to start because... It is. It's very difficult. So understand first, right? I was used to be a divorce lawyer. Then I flipped. Then I became a love, sex, and relationship coach and expert. So vagueness doesn't sit very well with me. It just, it doesn't, it doesn't work. It's, it frustrates me. So what I realized after a while <laughs> was I came up with this definition. Intimacy is a state that results from connection, closeness, familiarity, exposure, or proximity that is highly personal, so much so that there's probably a feeling of vulnerability. Okay. Does that make sense? I tried to kind of sum it up, make it concise, and you should, people should understand. So there are things that I might share with the public that I'm perfectly comfortable sharing with the public. They don't make me feel vulnerable at all. The fact that I'm divorced, I have five kids. Those don't make me feel vulnerable. My age, right? A lot of people, women might think that exposing their age makes them feel vulnerable. So knowing that age might create some emotional intimacy. For me, that doesn't do it. So again, intimacy, even with that definition, it is highly personal because what we consider personal is different from one person to another, from one culture to another. I love that. Is that good? Okay. Then in terms of why is it crucial for a relationship? Because it's our level of intimacy with someone that determines the level that we put the relationship on our sort of hierarchy of relationships. So for example, I think of it as a triangle. At the very base, I have a relationship with my barista, with my dry cleaner. I see them all the time. They help me. They know certain things about me, but it's very still superficial. As we work our way up towards the top of the triangle, there's this level with your good friends, the family that you like, (laughs) you know, family you don't like is probably a little bit lower down. But, and then to me at the pinnacle, at least in our culture, that's where we generally put our most, our primary relationship, whether it's marriage or living together or civil union, whatever you determine it is, and whether it's with one person or it's a thruple or more, whatever your preferences are, 
the people that you basically are creating a life with, those are the people at the top of the triangle. And it is there that we expect a higher level of intimacy in all five areas. And then as we go down, and quite frankly, my belief is that marriages sort of generally, they start at that pinnacle because we don't usually want to marry our best friend. We want to marry our lover who also happens to be our best friend, but we don't want to marry just our best friend. So we expect more. And divorces often happen as people, the the level of intimacy reduces in that relationship. And then it gets to the level of, instead of a marriage, it feels like roommates or your best friend. And that it's so sad. It's so sad, but people don't know what to do. Nobody teaches us any of this stuff. No, nobody teaches us about intimacy and maintaining intimacy and creating intimacy. You brought up the five kinds of intimacy, which you talk about in your book. I would love for you to give us kind of a brief overview of those before we dive into emotional intimacy. Okay. Well, just very succinctly, because I go on for pages, right? I could go on for hours about each kind. But so to go more in depth, please do read the book, but very, very succinctly. The five kinds are physical intimacy, emotional intimacy, sexual intimacy, romantic intimacy, and then spiritual intimacy. Physical intimacy, I can say it could be just like being in a crowded elevator or a crowded train. Emotional intimacy can be what you experience with your best friend when you share your hopes and dreams with them. Sexual intimacy may be actually having sex, but it also can be talking about sexy. I say my, my gynecologist has a lot of sexual intimacy with me. <laughs> I don't have it back with her, but she has it with me. Then romantic intimacy is what is the experience. This one, and all of these, by the way, you can have by yourself, and they're really important to have by yourself. But romantic intimacy is the only one that you actually have to recognize or it doesn't exist. So romantic intimacy is not something as pat as flowers, champagne, or a fancy dinner. Romantic intimacy is whatever it is to you that basically takes the ordinary and turns it into the extraordinary. I say it's the difference between a picnic and a picnic at the Eiffel Tower. Although to the French, to the Parisians, a picnic at the Eiffel Tower is every day. (laughs) Not so for us. So that version of romance. Also, romance, we think of it sort of it's been feminized in our culture but it's not. When it comes to the masculine men, generally, they might think they don't believe in romance. But if you ask them what's hot, that's what their romance is. What's hot is what elevates things to them to this level of excitement and energy and ambiance. Spiritual intimacy is about the knowing or the belief that what you're doing is right, that you're in the right place at the right time with the right person doing the right thing. It is the absence of guilt, blame, shame, obligation, fear, etc. And so the spiritual intimacy has nothing to do with religion. But oftentimes, religious people struggle to find spiritual intimacy because they have such conflicting perspectives on what sexual intimacy is. Mm. When you talk about romantic intimacy, the first thing that comes to mind for me is like self-love and self-care. And I'm really excited to read that chapter because I think that that is a huge part of creating romance with ourselves, creating that intimacy with ourselves. And so I cannot wait to get to that chapter. And And when I think of that, I also think like super pleasurable. So for me, going to the beach, sunsets. Mm-hmm. beach sunsets, beach time, all of that is like, how do I add romance and pleasure and fun yes. into everyday life and yes. like romanticize my fucking life? Like that's what I think of. And mm, yes. so juicy. You are exactly right. And I'm sure you know people, I know people who are, who really dismiss the idea of romance. They are so busy with the practicalities of life that to me, they're missing the best part right? The practicalities are simply what we do to survive. Romance is what actually makes us live. That to me is the difference. Mm, Yes. Ooh, I feel like we could totally do a whole podcast about that too, because that is something I'm very passionate about in living. Like we're not here to 
go to work every day and make money. Like we are here to live, live a fulfilling, full, pleasurable, fun, exciting, passionate life. And if you're not doing that, what are you doing? Yes. What's the point? Exactly. Exactly. And if for people who doubt it, I love to tell them. So I'm Jewish by birth, a local rabbi that I've worked with and done workshops with and stuff. He told me that in the Old Testament, a Jewish woman is entitled to a divorce if her husband doesn't sexually satisfy her. What? Yeah. Not if he doesn't give her children. And he doesn't have the right if she doesn't sexually satisfy him. She has the right to get a divorce if her husband doesn't sexually satisfy her. And then as if that wasn't enough, right? Eye-opening. I don't know why they didn't teach all of us this in Hebrew school because I would have gone a lot more often. But that wasn't even enough. So the Old Testament goes on to describe and specify based on his profession, a husband has to sexually satisfy his wife on some sort of frequency. So a donkey driver has to satisfy his wife more often than a camel driver because a camel driver travels more, right? Isn't this awesome? This is so interesting. Exactly. And then this is the part that I really love. You know how often an unemployed man has to sexually satisfy his wife? All the time. Daily. Daily. Mm. Which if you are a religious person, if you believe, and if you believe in the Old Testament, which is the basis for pretty much, you know, all of the Judeo-Christian religions, then you have to recognize that a husband's obligations to his wife are to provide and pleasure. This is game changing. Hello. Right. Oh my This is what we were designed to do. Mm, I love that. So in your book, we, you talk about intimacy and how that's different than showing love and affection. I would love for you to expand on how those are different. Well, let's start with affection because that's just a little bit easier right now. Affection is actually a subset. Affection would be a way of creating physical intimacy. But not all physical intimacy is affection. And actually, frankly, I'll go back. You could use verbal affection, terms of endearment, which actually wouldn't even be physical affection. Those would be emotional affection, emotional intimacy. But again, not all emotional intimacy is affection. So affection is simply what I think of. Most people know about the five love languages. And those are certain ways that we, quote, express love. So affection, physical touch, or words of affirmation certainly can be ways that we express love. Now, why is intimacy different than love? This is the key. Love, even for me as the lawyer, the word nerd, there, I can't come up with a really great definition of love. And I've tried. I've tried. I can't do it. But what I've also realized, right, I love this person. I love that person. I meet somebody. I am immediately full of love. I love every single client I have. I just, teachers love every single child in their classroom, you know, and it, but love doesn't necessarily create intimacy. So I can see people, gosh, they've gone through tragedies or something and I'm helping them through something and I can be full of love for them. And yet I can have virtually no actually mutual emotional intimacy. They may not know anything about me and I simply know about them and I I want to do well for them. So the other thing is, is that when it comes to those five love languages, we can speak the same language, right? And understand the words, but without intimacy, love, I say it's like just cotton candy. It is so ephemeral. It feels good. It's soft and pretty and sweet and tasty, but it doesn't really satisfy. It doesn't stick. So love can be fleeting. Intimacy is the substance. It's the sustenance that love needs to stick around, to make us feel and enjoy and savor the love and to get closer and closer and closer to a person, to be more and more willing to share, to be vulnerable and to create more intimacy with them. 
So that's the difference that, that love, I, I think it's all the, the songs and the praise. And yet without intimacy, it's not going to stick. I, you know, one silly analogy that I use is the love languages are like, you learn how to hammer a nail. Great. You're hammering a nail into wood, hammering, 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 hammering. Before you know it, you've got this huge pile of wood with a bunch of nails in it. And yet you haven't built anything, but you're really good at hammering. Mm. Mm, I love that analogy. And interestingly enough, on this past weekend, I had gone to a networking event and we were playing this little game. And one of the cards that came up was, do you believe in love and first sight? And this is so interesting because I do. And mm-hmm. I think that this is exactly why, and that like you can have love without intimacy. And I think that in our culture, we have this narrow definition of what love can be, and that it's only really in the specific context of intimacy and, you know, in romantic relationships in a very, very narrow, like you can only love so many people in your lifetime and it can only look like this. And like, that's bullshit. Uh-huh. Yeah. Think about how much people love their pets. I mean, it is immediate, and it is immediate. You pick up that puppy, that kitten, you pick up your baby, your grandchild, doesn't matter whether you birthed it, whether your partner's birthed it, you've adopted it, or it just showed up in your house somehow. We just fall in love immediately. And it's beautiful and that's wonderful. But intimacy really has to be, if we want it to be fulfilling, we have to learn to cultivate intimacy. So I was married for 23 years to a man. We had a lot. We had sex regularly for 23 years, a couple of times a week and stuff. I loved him. I really, truly loved him. And yet we did not share very much emotional intimacy at all. It was so frustrating. And both of us were like, we want more. We want more. But I didn't know this, that I didn't know about these five kinds of intimacy then. I knew about divorces, but I didn't know about how to keep things good. And only in hindsight do I realize that he just thought that having more sex would help him get and to feel more fulfilled emotionally. And I didn't really want sex because I wasn't feeling emotionally connected and intimate. And that's where no matter how hard we tried, we got nowhere because we had no understanding of this. I would love to dive more into that because I think that this is, you mentioned it in your book, it's a catch 22. And that for a lot of women, you need the emotional side in order to want to have sex where men need the sexual intimacy to kind of fulfill the emotional intimacy and that you really need both for everybody involved. And you also talk about how like not one of the five types is more important than the other. And so how do we manage to cultivate intimacy in relationship, which is a loaded question. I don't, I don't even know where you start with that, but like, how do you start cultivating this? Well, again, so there are five kinds. And so that gives you five different options. I suggest that people start with whichever area they're actually the most comfortable. So if it's a couple, I say, what are they good at? Really? What? And if, if it's not even what they're good at right now, perhaps they're so stuck, so estranged that they're not good at any kind of intimacy right now, then I'll ask them what they used to be good at. So for example, one woman told me that she and her husband used to make out. And that to her was the biggest turn on. She just, every time they made out, she felt more and more in love. And she just like, she couldn't get enough of that. But they hadn't made out. They had three kids. They'd been married 12 years. They hadn't made out in years. So I just sent her home, like, go start making out with him. Don't worry about whether you like him. Just remember that you used to love this and see if it comes back. And it did right away. They forgot about the trash, the dishes, the dishwasher, you know, everything. You just start making out. And that sort of physical intimacy then blossomed. Then they got more turned on. Then there started to be more sexual intimacy. Then they started just feeling more emotionally intimate because it's just like, oh my God, you make me feel so good. I make you feel so good. This is great. Oh, let me tell you about, oh, this happened today. This happened today. And oh my God, I'm scared about this. And before you know it, now we've got, we've got those three. We've got physical, sexual, emotional intimacy. Then it was easy for them to be like, okay, where do we take this to make it hotter, to make it more exciting? Maybe they go out to a movie and they make out in the back row at the movie theater. That's their version of romance. 
oh, heck, there have been people I've sent to, you know, swingers clubs and stuff. There's no end. It could be watching a sunset. It could be as simple as sitting on your porch with a cup of coffee and hugging each other before or after you finish it. So whatever that is, that's there. And then the spiritual, that becomes the hardest, but you have to believe that this is right and this is important and it matters and that you can't be thinking, oh, your kids, you know, I say really, if your kids get McDonald's and their parents are happy, that, right, parents staying together is going to be way better for the kids than having an occasional bad meal or skipping a meal or watching a little bit too much TV or not having the cleanest clothes every single day, whatever it is. Um, So all of those wrap up together. I feel like it's almost a snowball effect in that once you kind of start going with one of them, the others pick up. And then next thing you know, you are just like full steam ahead, really having more intimacy and connection with your partner and more love ultimately. Yeah. It gives me goosebumps. Truly gives me goosebumps. And yeah, I have clients in their seventies that are so crazy in love with each other. And, and it's like, and they've learned so much about themselves and each other that it's almost like a whole new relationship with the exact same person. And I joke with them and say, you know, if you went back and told your 25 year old self that you were going to have the best love life in your entire life in your seventies. And my client who's a former professional athlete was like, no way. Wouldn't have believed it. Never, ever, ever. And yet it's absolutely true. Mm, I love hearing that. Right? So That's what we all want. It is. It is. And that's like our end goal is like this just beautiful love. Yeah. Just epically fulfilling, close. Yeah. That's what we all want. I would. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. It makes me a little emotional talking about it. It's like, that's what I fucking want. Like, yeah, I posted about this on Instagram probably a couple months ago, but that deep emotional intimacy is what I am currently looking for in partnership. And I've been lacking that. And yeah, I'm waiting. It's coming. I know it's coming. Yes. And yet I would caution you the same way as I would caution somebody who had great sexy intimacy, right? Again, emotional intimacy could wind up as your best friend. And that's still not enough. That's not what we dream of. That's not the fairy tale that we grow up with. So it has to be in combination with that lusty, passionate, sexy, physical pleasure. And yeah, that's the, that's when the magic happens, the combination of all of it. Yeah. So what does emotional intimacy feel like? Hmm. That's a, that's actually a really great question, right? Huh? Let me think about this for a second. Obviously it's going to feel different for each and every one of us. But because I said, right, that that it's going to create, intimacy is going to create something that's likely going to cause a feeling of vulnerability. Well, if we think about what vulnerability is, that's a sense that we could be harmed, that somebody or something is in a position to harm us, whether it's physically, emotionally, professionally, whatever. So there is definitely, there's definitely a little part of emotional intimacy that might scare you. And especially when you're less comfortable with it, when you've spent your whole life trying to protect your heart, (laughs) saying, oh, I don't want to get my heart broken again, blah, blah, blah. It's risky to be that emotionally vulnerable, intimate with somebody leads to vulnerability, which means that they could take what they know, they could hurt you, they could leave you. Think about fights. Those are emotionally intimate, right? That's how the people we love end up hurting us so much because they know exactly what buttons to push. They have enough emotional intimacy to to wound us intentionally if they want. So there is going to be that little area and hopefully it's little. Hopefully you've got enough trust the person, enough confidence in yourself that you're going to be okay no matter what. And then beyond that, it becomes a feeling of like you could breathe deeply. You actually can be yourself, not the face that you show the world, not the calm, cool, collected person you try to be at work all the time, not 
the know-it-all parent that you show your children, but the human, perfectly imperfect person that you are. And you get to be that and know that you're still safe. Are you ready to start understanding yourself better, learning and recognizing your patterns, and really develop a relationship with yourself? If this sounds like you, the Unleashing My Power, a women's empowerment and gratitude journal is for you. This journal was specifically curated for women just like you to help you take back your power and develop and go to the next level in life. My friend Danielle and I created this journal because of our own experiences and what we were looking for in a daily practice to improve our connection to self and really become connected with ourselves. This is game-changing, and the feedback that we are getting from other women who have started using this journal is absolutely amazing. You can find it on Amazon, or you can go to jordandanell.com slash journal, and it'll take you right there. I hope you enjoy. Be sure to go snag yours right away and leave me a review. Tell us what you think about it. Slide in the DMs. I know that your life will change when you start using this journal. That's just so beautiful to hear that. And I think that that is something that's so hard in our world to create right now. You know, when you look at social media, it's all about this persona and really being your authentic self and being safe to be your authentic self in partnership is a little scary. There's so much judgment that comes up and shame and stigma that we individually have. And then, you know, you're worried about, you know, how is my partner going to feel if I say this? And what, how is this going to impact our relationship? What does this mean? And so I love the idea of just being able to like be who the fuck you are. It's funny because my affirmation this weekend was when I embrace who I am, I radiate confidence. And it it comes back to that, like that authentic person, you radiate that confidence, you create that attraction to yourself when you are in most authentic alignment, which this kind of just is going a little bit on a tangent here. But I think this is also really important for individuals in that creating that emotional intimacy for yourself will help you in relationship as well. Right. It has to, because if we, if we judge ourselves harshly for something, or we perceive our own weakness and stuff, and we're not comfortable with it, then we're going to have a hard time letting somebody else see it because we're instinctively, we're going to be like, Oh, nope, that's too much vulnerability. They're not, I don't like it. They're certainly not going to like it. And so then once we start hiding, once we start putting on sort of false layers, we are weaker. I always think of the solid Easter eggs or chocolate bunnies because I love, right, solid versus the ones that are just the pretty exterior and the wrapping paper. And then you bite in and it all crumbles. And I'm so disappointed in those. That's what so many people are trying to do. And, and then they're surprised when people aren't drawn to them. But again, when we find something solid that we can count on and lean on, that's what we really, that's what we're magnetized towards. And that is emotional intimacy. Yeah. Yeah. So if you and your partner or you as an individual wanted to really work on creating emotional intimacy, where would you begin? Well, so in my book, I give, there are 17 different intimacy practices. So basically half the book, it's a pretty thick book and people are like, oh no, but I'm like, no, half of the book is truly, these are exercises that you can not only do now, but you can repeat them. And you should, I hope you will over and over and over again throughout the rest of your life. Not to mention there are endless more, but damn good start. So interestingly, I think that one of the best exercises to create 
emotional intimacy very quickly and very easy, easily. Well, in terms of the what you do, in terms of the, the feelings it evokes, it's pretty deep, is simply to do the face cupping. And face cupping is, and we do it, oh, I do it for myself all the time. So do not think that you need a partner to do these, but truly to simply put your chin and put your hands together like a V, soft, a soft round V, and put your chin in it. Use your fingers to just cup your cheeks and hold yourself there. Or if you're doing this with a partner, then look them in the eyes, get close to them, put your hands on theirs and do one person. Don't do both mutual until later. One person, look at them and just let yourself without saying a word, try and Take the love you feel, imagine it from your heart, right? Growing and building and then imagine it spreading through your body, through your arms, through your fingertips and into their face and just feel it. Oh, like I have goosebumps just doing it to myself. If you're doing it by yourself, look at yourself in the mirror, right? So often we can't even look at ourselves. I spent years avoiding a mirror feeling so, so horrible about myself. Being able to see myself, look myself in the eye is huge. If I, again, if I can't look at myself, then who am I ever going to let look at me? So doing this, just stay there for about 30 seconds, a minute if you can, finish it up if you want with something and just tell them, I'm sending you all this love. And what I'm thinking about is this, this is why I love you so much and give it specifics. And that. I mean, it's really, I don't know why, but it opens people's hearts in a blink. It is, it's powerful. And yet it's so simple. Yeah, I love that. And for those of you that haven't read the book, the exercises are amazing. I I went through all of them and I was thinking about how, A, how I can utilize these with clients, but B, they are so helpful for going deeper in your relationship. And, and it's ultimately like a, an at-home coaching yeah. that if, if you want to go deeper, definitely always hire a coach, hire Beth. But at the same time, you can start at home by doing some of these exercises to strengthen your relationship and begin. Yeah. Yeah. They're very easy. And I have um one <laughs> one client who just tells me like she is so petrified of intimacy she started reading the first exercise was like nope slam the book (laughs) it's been weeks she hasn't been able to open it again (laughs) i'm just like right it is so funny but again at least she's laughing with herself she's not berating herself for this struggle she's acknowledging it she's allowing her husband which is really interesting right when she shares with her husband that emotional intimacy petrifies her. What is she doing? She's creating emotional intimacy. Yes. So, why why is it so hard for some of us to be open to emotional intimacy? Well, because if, if we think about the way that we that we are raised, right? We humans are born dependent upon others to take care of us instinctively, we have to master the art of connecting with them, of appeasing them in order to get fed, clothed, protected. So once we get good, and people, we do, we get good at reading the other person, our caregivers, and we know what they want, and then we figured out how to get it. Then the risk of losing that by trying something new, by having our own independent ideas, about what is appropriate, that's risky. That's terrifying. Social ostracism in tribal uh, mammals like we are, social ostracism is used to be equated to death. You couldn't survive on your own. So being even as you grow up, you needed to fit into the community. Without a community, you were toast. So we consistently, repeatedly are learn to protect ourselves and to do everything we can to fit in, not to be, to individuate too much. And there's a fine line between where we individuate enough and too much. So that fear of intimacy, I say, is completely natural, completely natural. You know, can you imagine if you were emotional, if you were just 
allowed yourself to be vulnerable to everybody. There are people that would be predators, that would take advantage of you, that would steal from you. So it is difficult to find that fine line. And we do have memories, which means that we remember very well when our trust, our vulnerability, when we've tried to create intimacy and we were punished for it. And then that makes us, oh, we're going to learn that lesson, not do it again. So it is a natural struggle. Yeah, I find personally for me that that is definitely a true statement and that you've had this happen. And then you're like, okay, I want to develop a relationship, but you put these walls up out of fear of getting hurt and learning to break those down and understanding that like you may fall, you may come across some pain, but it is, it's worth it at the end. Right. Yeah. And isn't it ridiculous that we somehow think that heartbreak really can kill us, that that's like the worst thing in the world. And yet I see people, you know, I use the example in the book about a marathon runner. Every marathon runner expects to have injuries along the way. They know that it's going to be enormously painful and yet they still voluntarily do it over and over again, oftentimes. And if we could just adopt that attitude to heartbreak, that yes, okay, we're going to try, but we're going to shoot for that marathon. We are going to try to get that really emotionally and physically and sexually and romantic and spiritually fulfillment in a relationship, even if it means that we're going to have to overcome some obstacles, even if it means that some races that we think we're going to race, no, we're not going to do, we're not going to finish those. And we're going to keep trying until we get to the finish line with somebody that, that feels like rewarding. And that's when we get the trophy. So let's just recognize, take time to heal your heartbreak. It is painful. I'm not saying it's not, but it is something that we can and should recover from. And it is something that we should teach our children and the next generations that it is okay. It is totally okay to get heartbroken. It's going to happen. Heal it. Take time off like we do if you break your leg and then get back out there. That analogy is so good. And I think that you're right. When you're a pro athlete, you know that injuries come. That's a name of the game. Not that you want them, not that you are anticipating them, but you know that like it's probably going to happen. And it's all about getting back out there, healing and getting back out there. And I think that's a really good takeaway in the world of relationships and love and that not everybody not every relationship that you're in is going to be successful. There is going to be hurt, but it's worth it. And you, you just heal and you get back out there. Mm, I'm going to have to remember that. I think a local pastor that I used to listen to on the radio said it best. He said that everyone before they get married should have three to five heartbreaks, major heartbreaks. His reasoning was, Only by surviving that do you have the confidence to actually wait until you find the quote, right, you know, a right relationship, a healthy relationship. And only with confidence that you can heal from a heartbreak, do you have the confidence to keep that relationship healthy? Even when it's hard, even when you have to call the person out, even when you have to make changes or face certain realities, you have to know that you are that you you can take a risk shift things up make adjustments and if it doesn't work you're still going to be okay and then with the athlete analogy i think what we also need to recognize if athletes don't allow themselves enough time to heal fully they're re-injured over and over and over again that is exactly what we do with heartbreak we get heartbroken and we're like forget that you know fuck that i'm going to get right back out there We haven't healed. We haven't looked at ourselves. We haven't accepted responsibility for what led up to the injury. And we haven't made any changes. So then we go right back out there with a wounded heart. Lo and behold, we get broken again. We get hurt again. And now we're pissed. We're like, no, get me. I'm like, oh my God. So think of athletes. Every time you have a heart yes, and let yourself heal or recognize that you are not going to be performing at your best. You're not going to be championship and you are going to injure yourself repeatedly until you take yourself out of the game or the profession. Mm. 
I think you hit the nail on the head with that one. I mean, it's just so accurate. And, you know, they say hurt people hurt people, right? So when you're out there wounded, you're probably out there damaging other people who are crossing paths with you and making sure that you take enough time to look at yourself, look at how you contributed to your failed relationships or, and I don't even know that I want to call it failed relationships because I feel like for me, each relationship is a learning opportunity and an opportunity to practice the skills that I have been working on and learning. And so it's not actually a failure. It's a growth opportunity to get me to the the next place, the next growth opportunity. Right. Because I love that, that, that quote that people come into your life for a reason, a season, or a lifetime. And that's beautiful. And one is not necessarily better than the other time. You know, we can appreciate time, but there are lots of people that have taught me so much in a very short period of time that I'm forever grateful. Also, we have to recognize that not that the flip side of love is always lost. There are very few times where the people that we love die and end with us at the very same time. So there is also loss that comes from nothing to do with intentions or bad behavior or being related at all to failure, but simply circumstances. And we still have to heal from those. We still have to put ourselves together. We have to think about now we're going to be with somebody else. We're going to have to take whatever, whoever we are and merge it and decide who we want because we are never going to get the same person that we've lost. Never. So you better start knowing yourself better and not just relying on somebody else to know you and tell you about it. Well, and I think that that's a really good point too about knowing yourself and that you are the relationship that you will have your entire lifetime. You are not going anywhere. And if you don't have that relationship with yourself and you develop all five types of intimacy with yourself, at the end of the day, that you can count on you. Yeah. Yep. And when you're not happy with you, oh, come on, you're never happy with anybody else. You never will be. Not your children, not anybody. Yeah. Wow. Wow. This is such a great conversation. And there's so much more we could talk about. A couple of things I want to mention to the listeners in your book, one of the exercises that you have is how to create meaningful conversations. And I think that this exercise is a really, really great exercise to help improve emotional intimacy. Do you want to talk briefly about like your four E's for creating meaningful conversation? So I think I would just start with it. I think the reason that I created that was because I had so many men who really were very well-intentioned. But again, we just have to recognize men and women, we grow up differently. We grow up with different societal expectations. We grow up with different communication skills, being taught and rewarded for different styles of communication. So too often I had men that were telling me, I'll do anything she wants. I just don't understand it. I don't even know how to talk to her. I try and talk to her and it doesn't work. That's when I realized we needed to kind of get people on the same page. And it's not that one is right and one is wrong. It's just that there are are certain ways that women communicate more and, and need communication. So that is about teaching primarily men how to have those conversations and not to just try to fix things, not to just throw up your hands and be exasperated and be like, oh yeah, well, I said, talk as much as you want. And then I sat there and listened. So you really do. You have to go into it. And I only, sometimes I found that if I just spew something off quickly, people think they do it real quick and they're not really doing it. And then they say, oh, Beth did, no, no, no. So I'm not falling into that trap, nothing personal. I want you to succeed people. But I want you to go and I want you to read this and I want you to take it seriously. It is not just a quick fix because again, it is learning a different communication style, which is not as hard as learning a new language, but still it's something. It is going to take you practice. But if you do this with your partner and then heck, if you want to adjust it, if you want to do different things, if you want them to speak differently to you, then feel free to add, take away, work with that, use that exercise just as a starting point if you want. But I'll tell you that generally, it's a very good starting point for a man talking to a woman. 
I love the context that you give behind that because I think that when I initially reached out to you to record, I actually really wanted to talk about emotional intimacy and helping men be more engaged in in emotional intimacy because I think that you're right. There is this huge disconnect culturally and the societal norms and we're raised different. It just, it is what it is. Right. And men really want to be able to provide women with this and they just don't know how because they're not taught. And I think that you could say the same thing from the sexual intimacy standpoint for women in that we want to please our man many times, but we maybe don't have the skills or the knowledge and, and we're not taught that. And so it all comes back to the more we study, and this is a quote from your book, the more we study and practice, the better will be. And you were specifically referencing emotional intimacy, but I think that's all of it. Yeah. When you practice it, when you practice these tools, you learn more, you will be better with time. Yeah. And I think it's important that just because we're acknowledging the differences that we were raised with, we're not advocating that this is where it should be because that's not my focus at all. I think it's, I think it's shameful and horrible and, and truly detrimental to heterosexual relationships, actually relationships generally, that there's such a disconnect. So, but once we recognize it, I also want people to know that men crave emotional intimacy just as much as women do. And at our core, because we are human, we all have the same desire for sexual pleasure and cre- and connection and intimacy. It just shows up differently for each of us at different, for men, for women, different, you know, hormonal cycles, etc. But there is nothing, there is no one that should say that emotional intimacy is for her and sexual intimacy is for him. It's not. I'm telling you, in my marriage, I wanted the emotional. He wanted the sexual. Neither of us was happy. Neither of us was happy. We both needed both of them, even though we didn't understand it. So in fact, quite frankly, I kind of think that might be the underlying basis for sex addiction is that that inability to get emotionally close and yet an uncontrollable desire for it. So we keep repeating, right? The definition of insanity. We do the same thing over and over. All right, let's fuck, 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 fuck. The more I fuck, then I'll feel close. I'll feel good. I'll feel whole. It's not it. Mm. They're two separate things, but they often, when they go together, again, that's fabulous. Yes. Well, in emotional intimacy, a lot of times leads to more pleasure because it's more connected and it's deeper right? in my personal experience. Right. Because it's because then the sexual, we know what to do, right? Just the same emotional intimacy makes our fights more painful because we have more knowledge about how to hurt someone. With emotional intimacy, our sexy gets better because now we know how to put the physical acts into some sort of context. We know how to arrange them. It's like the musical notes on a piano, right? The way I hit them is not very good, but somebody, a composer, they take the same things and they put it together in in something that makes us weep or lust or whatever. So that is exactly the same. If you don't have emotional intimacy, you're going to do the same sexual acts repeatedly. And yet it's going to lack the context and the substance that makes it just explode. And, you know, we can think of it, some people in the midst or right before their orgasm want to hear, oh, baby, I love you. And that's great. Somebody else might really want to hear, you are my whore, right? That could appall you, but it could turn somebody else on. Until you actually have that emotional intimacy with somebody, you don't know which one to do. And believe me, you'll get Mm. very different reactions if you do the wrong thing with the person. Yes, you will. Yes, you will. (laughs) Beth, this has been amazing. I really appreciate you sitting down with me to talk. And I would love if there is one thing that you would hope the listeners take away from today's conversation, what would you want it to be? Mm, It would be tune into really each everyone. We should tune into the deepest parts of ourselves that yearns for loving connection and closeness. And 
Don't let anybody or anything convince you that it's not possible because I promise you it is, it is a human. It's our goal. It's, it's what we are literally created for, designed for, programmed for and passion, passionate intimacy and joy and love can actually last a lifetime. I've seen it. It's the most beautiful, fantastic, powerful thing ever in this world. It makes everything else in life worthwhile. So don't, don't settle. I know in each of us, we want it. I know you do. We've just maybe tried to teach ourselves not to pay attention. Nope. Open it up and try and start sharing and try and seek what you want and what I know you deserve. Mm. I love ending on that note. Where can the listeners find you at, Beth? They can find me on my website, bethdarling.com. There you can find my books, including my latest book, The Five Kinds of Intimacy, How to Keep Your Love Alive. You can find my podcast, Come With Us Podcast. You can also find a couple of sexy video classes that I teach about some oral pleasure. And you can also, you can email me, bethatdarlingway.com, or go through the website to contact me if you're interested in individual or couples coaching or private workshops, et cetera. So, oh, and of course, I'm also on social media all over the places, Beth Darling, Sexy Genius. So yeah, I can't wait to hear from everybody. And Jordan, this was such a pleasure. I love your energy. I love your enthusiasm. I feel like we're kindred spirits here and, and I'd be happy to talk to you about anything, anytime. Yes. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for having me. This podcast is sponsored by Intimacy Coaching by Jordan Donnell. Have you ever desired more from your sex life or feel like you're having good sex, but curious about how to make it even better? Are you desiring a deeper intimate connection with yourself? Or maybe you are dealing with desire and arousal concerns or struggling with communicating your desires with your partner. If you're hearing this and thinking, hmm, that might be me, and you're curious to learn a bit more, let's chat. I would love to talk with you more to see if working with me is a good fit for you. To learn more about intimacy coaching with Jordan Donnell, go to coaching.jordandonnell.com. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Thank you for joining today and continuing to bring awareness to women's health. If you love the show, please subscribe so you never miss another episode and leave a review for others to see. If you want to see me on the daily, you can check out my bio for links to all my pages. Be sure to share this episode with your girlfriends. Thanks again and see you next episode.